1: Hey everybody! Welcome back to another episode of Finding Freedom right here on the Lions of Liberty Network. Really excited for today's episode. Got a uh, friend of the show coming on, uh, an entrepreneur, a uh, a very established fisherman out in uh, out in Colorado. Just all around good guy, Lance Sycow. We'll be talking to him. Shortly, But before I introduce Lance, I want to remind you all, ask you all, if you haven't yet, please come join us. Come join us. The water's warm. Dip a toe in first, maybe if you want to, and then jump right in. Um, join us in the Lions of Liberty pride. You can do so by joining us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty or on locals at of liberty.locals. Dot com. If you're one of those people who types in URLs and memorizes them, which is almost nobody now. So probably what you would do is you would just go to Patreon and you would type in Lines of Liberty. It would come up and you would select your level. You want to join at. look at the perks and all that good stuff associated with it. And uh, and you'll be part of the pride. You'll be in our Facebook group. We have, we have some conversations there where you get to watch our, our live streams. When I have interviews like the, the one with Lance today, you could have already seen it last week. You could have commented on it during the live stream if you were in the pride, but you're not. So you didn't. And also uh, at our $10 level, you actually get access to buying run your mouth coffee, which is a, a coffee company that myself and my friend Ben Panji started a couple years ago. You'll get 15% off fresh roasted coffee at that level. We have other perks. You can actually produce a show at, uh, at $50 and up, and you can actually at a hundred dollars and up, if you do a hundred dollars a month and up, um, membership in the Lions of, Li- of Liberty Pride, you actually get a short mention um, once per week on one of our episodes about maybe a podcast you have, a product, something of that nature. So check that out. And I guess the only other ask I would say, you know, if you're new to this show and you're liking, it, you're like, how can I help these guys? How can I help them to uh, to grow their platform? I would say what you can do is you can of course subscribe. If you haven't done that, please. Click that little miniature tiny plus sign uh, that, that Apple uh, the, that the if you're listening on Apple Podcasts that they've changed probably about a year ago now where it's it's hard to subscribe to a podcast now You got like twist your finger to the side and like just try to hit that plus sign to uh to subscribe it's an effort but uh, if you like this show hopefully you'll make that effort or subscribe on whatever podcasting app uh, you fancy and that's. Actually, one more thing I do want to mention. So YouTube, a YouTube update. Uh, For those of you who have been with us for a long time, you know that we've had strikes and whatnot on YouTube, and we haven't been able to monetize. We haven't been able to do super chats, any of that stuff for years. We've always had like one or two strikes. And when you have that, you can't do any of that stuff. We're down to one strike, and it's set to expire like within days. So when this has happened in the past... YouTube has somehow just gone through our archives and dug something else, else up and given us another strike, which probably will happen. But if they don't, we'll be able to monetize, we'll be able to do super chats, more stuff with live streams, which would be awesome, but that might not happen. And if it doesn't happen, then we'll be focusing more on Rumble, of course, and Odyssey. So if you're a fan of Rumble and Odyssey, we're, we're growing our platforms there as well. So please come follow us on Rumble and Odyssey. And with that being said, let's get to today's show. All right, we are live to the Lions of Liberty Pride, and I am joined here by Lance Psycho. Lance has been, well, he was on my show when it was Felony Friday. I don't even remember what we talked about. I think there was was some case or something in Colorado where we were talking about that. But today, Lance is here to talk about his entrepreneurial journey, um, his success as a business owner, and uh, also success as a podcaster, also as a, a very uh, awesome podcast called Inside the Firm. Um, and also his success as a fisherman, really not only just catching fish with, she does a lot of that if you follow him on Facebook or on, uh, on YouTube, but also being able to, uh, to monetize it. So we'll get into that. Lance, welcome to Find Your Freedom, man. Glad to be here, John. Yeah, thanks for inviting me on, buddy. It's good to see you. It's good to talk to you again here virtually. Yeah, man. I'm doing this like three episodes in a row, two or three episodes in a row where I'm really talking to, you know, friends of mine like yourself who, you know, really have had successful, you know, entrepreneurial stories. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of lucky to know people like that who have really you know, stepped out and kind of built these businesses up from nothing. I mean I I think I'm making the correct assumption that you know you don't have someone rich that gave you thousands of dollars to uh to build your business, right? You you built this up basically on your own, right? Yeah,
0: I mean with the, with the help of my business partner and my best friend Al Gore, not the president, but the good Al Gore, uh the freedom-loving Al Gore, the traditional kind of uh family man Al Gore. Uh yeah, 100%. So we we started our business in let's see uh, we both graduated in 2008, and we graduated at the top of our class, went to went to North Dakota State University, go Bison. And uh, in our world, it's like the Harvard of the Midwest in terms of architecture school. You know, it's a top 25 architecture school in the United States. And one of the things we were competing for, we went for a five-year master's, so it was like a fast track. Is called the McKinsey Thesis Award, and it basically selects the top five students out of 40, and the original 40 also come from it's selected from 350 just to get in the architecture school. So it's highly competitive. I ended up winning uh, the McKinsey thesis award. And then Al likes to think that he took, he, he he basically won in a different way. He got the Alpha Chi Rho award, which was sort of this, the best overall student. And that was selected by the professors. Um, so we graduated and we were on top of the HODO, which is a hotel in downtown Fargo, one of the kind of a posh hotel. We were, standing around with our parents and our professors. And one of our favorite professors who like to call us the Renaissance team, his name is Daryl Booker. He kind of jokingly said to me and Al, he's like, you guys should really team up and consider starting your own firm one day. And we said, well, hmm. maybe in 10 years. And then, you know, we both graduated. We went our separate ways. And I went to, I landed in Boulder, Colorado. Um, and then Al went to uh, New York City. He worked for Daniel Liebskin. Daniel Liebskin, for anybody who doesn't know who that is, world-famous architect. He's in the Denver Art Museum. He did uh, the original redesign for World Trade Center One after 9-11. Super famous guy. He's done the the Jewish Holocaust Museum in in, uh, Germany. And then I went uh, and worked in Boulder for a a regionally famous firm that ended up winning AIA National Architects of the Year, uh, Brad Tomasek and Christopher Harris Studio HT. We both we both lasted about a year at each of our respective firms. We kept in touch. We were best friends, and then the Great Recession hit. And uh, when I was when the Great Recession hit, I I lasted about nine months. And you could see the writing on the wall. Mm-hmm. If you're an architect and um, you, you're you know working at a firm, and you can sense the work drying up because I mean, the workload gets a lot lighter. Pretty soon, you're just panning around in your computer, you know, in, zooming in and out of CAD or whatever program you're using. And you know, I'm not dumb. I had small businesses before I started uh, this one. Before I even went to um, went to Boulder and started working for those guys, you know, I'd always been uh, an entrepreneur at heart. Uh, one of the first times that I ever made any money was my, my grandmother allowed us to pick uh, choke cherries out of the choke cherry tree. We went to the farmer's market, sold them, and I was just kind of hooked on that. You know, yeah. premise of like getting your freedom through um, your own work. And, and sort of manifesting it that way. So, So
1: uh, how so, so let me ask. So so how long um, after after you were, you know, booted out of corporate America or, or laid off, I'm sure you would have found another job if you if you if you looked for um, long enough, but how long did it take for you after you you lost that or were laid off from a job until you started your firm? Let's see.
0: Well, that's a tricky question. So I was laid off in Two thousand nine, I think it was August. Uh, completely heartbroken, driving home, you know, you, like tears in your eyes, sort of thing. Because like you, you work mm-hmm. so hard to graduate at the top of the class and get to one of those top firms regionally or nationally or anything like that, and it just kind of destroys you, and you have no you have no control over it. And, and as somebody who likes to have control over their life, that was pretty devastating. So that's what I was saying about the writing on the wall is what we started to do. Alex and I, even though we were both still working at. Respective firms separately, we started. To, I started to build these CAD files. They're, the software we use is called Revit, and, and what I was doing was I was noticing that there wasn't these very high-end, like architectural um, furniture pieces for this program. So I started making just a ton of them. I would get up super early, even before I had to go into work, while I was still working there. I'd make i make these these models. And I uploaded them. I was making so many of them and uploading so many of them to turbosquid.com, which is kind of an original host of, of these models, that I started to get noticed by a company named Arcat and Sumex, um, who ended up working with all of these manufacturers to try to translate their 2D CAD drawings into these models. So I had a little pipeline Started with that because I could see the writing on the wall. And the other thing mm-hmm. I did is Craigslist used to be like a beautiful thing.
1: It did. You yeah. Used to be, you used to be able to write besides all the hookers and stuff. You used to be able to <laughs> I write. Wasn't, I wasn't even talking about that. I, I was thinking of selling vacant land on Craigslist. it Used <laughs> to be. it Used to be awesome for that. But yeah, now it's. I don't. Know, now it's just lunatics. Just it is lunatics. People. Yeah. But what what you could do what you could do for like four or five years is you could write
0: a little bit of HTML in your ads. And you could you could put together these like little web pages. Oh, yeah. I so, remember that. so my background before I went to architecture school was 13 years old working in construction. Um, I would work a different trade every single summer. And then I went to two years of tech school. So, again, with that writing on the wall, it was like, well, I have two kids and um, we are broke. Like I'm not moving back to North Dakota. I love Colorado.
1: How, and I was how, like, let me let me jump in there. How soon did you have your kids after college, or was it during college when you when you had? I, your had, kids?
0: My, I had my first when I was in college as a sophomore. I was, was twenty one, and then okay. the the second um, one year out of one year out of college. So okay. we we had her, and then we are sorry we moved down here while my wife was pregnant like two or three months, and then we had our second child here. So you know, laid off like it was it was a kind of a whirlwind yeah. with all that. So I put out those ads and I, I would crush all the other handymen. And I know you've joked with me on Facebook about this, about the sober subcontractors. <laughs> but I yeah. literally wrote the ads saying that right away, as I would say, clean, young, smart, sober. Uh, you know, and I would tell all my background and what I could do. And it was just like hook, line and sinker for all of these um, upper middle class uh, tech stay at home wives that would have all these projects in Boulder. Boulder was and still is now it's kind of grown to Boulder County is like pretty recession proof. So when when the market crashed real estate wise in 2008, 2009, the real estate only bud only moved about 1%. Like it really didn't go up and down too much. It just kind of stayed flat. We're kind of seeing that now. Um, so basically that August I was laid off, I started to line up all that handyman work. I never took out any kind of unemployment, you know, insurance from the state or anything like that. I worked for cash. I paid the bills, um, and then I started getting all that all that uh, CAD work from TurboSquid and Sumex and all of that. And then Alex got laid off, and he was living. He he thought, "Hey, I will uh, go to grad school." He got laid off before me. Sorry, he got laid off before me, and he was he was back in grad school. He was thinking, "Yeah, this recession is only one year. I'm going to just go to go to grad school. I'm going to get my master's of construction and weather the storm, and then come out. I'm going to get a job." And do that. But like 50% of the architecture, engineering and construction community was, was laid off during that time. It was one of the biggest, you know, it's sort of like the tech procession now, but, but twice as bad actually. Mm-hmm. So you couldn't find a job. I mean, you had to find work. So I, I found that work pretty soon. I landed a house, then I landed a clinic and the clinic was hilarious because the clinic, I had to be a licensed architect. I wasn't even a licensed architect at this point. I actually brought that project back to the other firm who laid me off. It was kind of funny. And uh, and worked with them for a little bit. And then ended up, um, you know, Alex and I would continue to talk. And I was like, well, I've got this house. I've got this clinic. I was like, how much money do you have? And he's like, well, I'm tired of hearing my mom and dad have sex in the next room. So I have like $4,000. I'm, I'm moving. Like, I don't care. I was like, perfect. I was like, somebody just moved out upstairs. And we—I was in this little apartment, two-bedroom apartment. Um, he moved kitty-corner to me upstairs. It was a, he had a one-bedroom apartment, no furniture. He brought two lawn chairs, a, uh, a like an old trunk. Didn't have a TV or anything. Pure bachelor. And yeah. and then um, we started. You know, I said, "Here's how I've been getting work. I've been doing it on Craigslist." And one of the coolest things we did right away, and people might frown at it, but I don't care. Like capitalism is a, is a it's a cutthroat business, and like you gotta, if, if, when you gotta feed people, well, you gotta, you gotta, you'll pretty much do whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. And so we put out a fake ad, and it said, "Hey, w- you know, we're, we have land up in like the mountain somewhere, and uh, we want to build like a twenty five hundred square foot uh, uh, cabin. We're looking for architects." There was, you know, there was no work for architects, so we ended up getting like a hundred responses to that fake ad. We shut the ad down. And what that ad allowed us to do is then we put all of that data in where people were coming in um, with their quotes how they put together proposals oh, their-
1: that is brilliant Wow
0: thank you I thought it was too I, again it's a little cutthroat and stuff and well,
1: like I I've, I mean it's it, it is but it, I've heard of people doing the exact same thing for you know selling real estate or you know selling you know selling land if you're trying to or if you're in, in land investing if you're looking to go into buy properties, figure out, you know, what price are you at by putting up a fake listing and have people bid on it. So yeah, it's, I mean, people do that for sure. Yeah.
0: So it allowed us to find like a true price point that we felt like we can beat everybody out at, at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So that then it became like a, a design problem for us. So we we're like, okay, here's the price point. Here's here's what we know we need to make each month to eat. And then how do we utilize the software you know, we're these young guns. How do we u- utilize the software? It's called Rabbit Architecture. Is what we use to, to create a template to where we are drafting like two to four times the speed of everybody else. And once we hone that in, then we did start for the next three years. So, to, the long, the short answer about how when we started the firm, you know, laid off in two thousand nine, incorporated in early two thousand ten. I'll move down, and that's when we started the business. So, I would say like three to six months officially after I was laid off is, is when we started uh, our architecture firm. We started I mean, for t- about three years. And then and then in 2013, things started to ramp up a little bit. Um, in that time, we had reached out. We, we thought about hiring a few people and we reached out to, we put out like an ad for CU Boulder and they have an architecture program. And the candidates were just not up to what we wanted them to be. CU Boulder at that time was sort of stuck in, I teach there now, so I'm not trying to crap on them totally, but they were stuck in sort of like, why are we still drafting by hand? I mean, I I get the, I understand the skill that you need to be able to sketch, and that kind of goes for everybody. But they, you know, so we, we emailed the faculty and we said, hey, you know, we would be happy to teach your students this software if you have any openings. And the architecture department said no, but the engineering department has an opening. Would you guys be interested in that? So we started teaching. And what that led to was Alex and I would co-teach his class. And all of a sudden it was like, dang it, we don't have, like, now we have less time to execute the work. We hundred percent need to hire somebody. And that's where the multiplication started to happen, where we could afford to hire somebody. We hired that first person. They worked for us for about two years. And then we hired another person and another person. And up until last year, we, our architecture firm grew to 10 people. We're back down to seven. We actually think we sort of, the three people that left, like, two of them, we were happy they left. Um, one, we were a little bit sad and not happy about. But in the end, what you know, when I looked at it, like, I always try to look at everything through, like, there's providence involved. I mean, God is 100% real. And mm-hmm. and when you look for those fingerprints and you take, like, sort of a stoic approach to life where you're in certain situations for a reason, what is the, there's a yin and a yang, what's the positive positive? Way here out, um, you know. That's that's kind of the lens we looked at it through. And then, so when those people were laid off, we we're like, oh, are not laid off when when they left. We were like, well, oh, we 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 basically avoided having to lay people off with this upcoming recession. We got that, and then we ended up actually having our most profitable year ever last year. Um, we landed really thirty like percent plus profit for a service based business. That's phenomenal. Usually, you want to be like ten percent is good, twenty percent is excellent. 30% of kind of through the roof.
1: So, so what what market are you operating in now? Are you primarily residential or are you doing both residential and commercial?
0: 50% of our, our usual workload is single family, custom single family homes. And that can be anywhere from like a little kitchen remodel where, you know, a couple will call us, they hate their kitchen and we'll say, okay, we're going to gut it. Um, you know, metaphorically speaking, I mean, we'll... You know, we're just drawing on, on paper for the most part. We do have a construction firm and we can talk about that too, but that, that's a smaller end of our work. And then we do mansions. I mean, we're doing, you know, a, a house in Boulder that's projected to cost, I think, four to $5 million, stuff like that. That's 50% of our portfolio, uh, currently 25% then is multifamily. So we do a lot of townhome developments, you know, where there are these row houses. And then the other 25% is uh, light commercial and light industrial. So we have a pretty diverse
1: um, workload. Is is that common for an architecture firm to be in, you know, a, a lot of different, you know, segments of the market? The
0: smart ones are, yeah. Uh, the yeah. ones that laid me off were not. They concentrated only on the upper one percent, you know, the the point one percent of the one percent. Sort of um, mm-hmm. and put all their eggs in one basket. And that's primarily the reason why I was laid off. I mean, these people were not. Privy, they were not good, you know, they didn't have any business acumen at all. I mean, they were much, the thing about architects is, is like, I, I tell this to people all the time, I mean, especially all like the liberty minded, um, more right leaning conservative folks. I'm like, how many architects have you actually met? Like, I'm the only one, right? And so like, what I try to frame it as is like, you got to understand the the psychology of most architects is the complete opposite of mine. They don't understand basic, basic e- economics. It, this is not a business to them. It's all highfalutin art and they are completely detached typically from like the working class, which we pride ourselves on you know writing this we're right we're right on the fence because we have a construction company and an architecture firm and I, I love to tell clients that like we're equally blue collar, really equally white collar We're upper Midwest, um, you know good old-fashioned boys. And girls, and uh, you know, we're, we can pick up a hammer. Like if we go on a mm-hmm. job site, we can pick up a hammer without, her, you know, hurting our delicate little hands. So,
1: so when did you? Uh, you talked about this construction firm. When did you launch that? So in uh, in t- it's uh in 2014 we built our we built
0: it we designed and built a tiny house. It was called Atlas Tiny House, and we landed a spot on HGTV. We did an episode with them, and then two like mini episodes after that uh, season one, episode 13 of tiny house, big, big living. And that was really fun. And so we, we ended up, we took out a business loan. We funded the project. Um, it, we, we built it. The house and the tiny house ended up, uh, living off site up, up at like a tiny house, like a, uh, hotel up in Lyons, Colorado mm-hmm. for a couple of years. And so that was kind of the start of it. I mean, I had always, because I went, because I was, Always doing all those trades as a young guy. Alex did some construction work when he was in the army. We always wanted to wear all three hats, architect, builder, real estate developer, because we know that like the more responsibility you take, the more risk you take, the more reward you get. And as somebody who grew up lower middle class and, you know, felt feeling guilty about money growing up, I was like, I just never want to feel like that ever again. I never want my kids to feel like that. Like that is not the way to live. Like money isn't everything, but not, but not having it is. So um we built that first one. It was very popular. It went all over the internet. We won an international architecture award 2015, a year later, because that episode ran about every two, two, two weeks, Subaru called us and Subaru said, Hey, we want you guys to build two more of these, but instead of having these folding awning and folding deck, On one side, we want it to happen on both sides. We want we want to put rock bands on the top of the tiny house, so we need to have it needs to have a deck that folds down, railings that fold up. Like very difficult to build. I mean, we were completely inventing new engineering and foldability was truly a
1: transforming. What what did they want to use it for?
0: They wanted it so they what they do is they sponsor uh, this thing called Winterfest. So they they wanted to take these. I wanted to have the big Subaru emblems on there. That was the sponsor. And then they worked with sort of these, this company that does like all these t- tougher mutter type of events. Mm-hmm. Those type of things. And they would bring them all. the. They would just go to a different ski resort every weekend. Post them up. You know, hand out swag bags. Stuff like that. Try to get people just to, you know, think about Subaru. Think about it. Like sort of mobile sales rooms or whatever. And first I didn't want to build them. And um, because the first one was just so hard. It was, I mean, truly inventing like something is, is very difficult. It's like giving giving birth and I've never given birth, right? But I've seen my wife do it. So uh, Alex was like, well, what if I tell them this number? And I was like, hey, if they go for that number, like no problem. I'll, I'll build it again. I'll, I'll talk my wife into letting me kill myself for, for three months. We'll do that. Because we had our eyes set on the prize of like, we need to get enough cash to buy land because we want to be we want to do the design build develop crossroads because we felt like if we could do that not only i mean do you gain wealth in just the knowledge but then the equity of holding real estate when i walk people through our headquarters that we designed and built and developed and i point to the beams and i talk about the hvac systems and i talk about what we can do it's almost like it's like catching fish that are mm-hmm. very, um it just they're just hook line and sinker cuz I don't think there's, there's maybe like two other architects in the whole state of Colorado that have done what we've done in terms of designing and building and then developing their own office and commercial. Because,
1: because the architects aren't thinking of it like, like you have uh, the value of it, you know, being able to, to use it as a sales pitch, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. I don't think they think of that. I think they think it's an, it is an ego boost, obviously. I mean, Mm -hmm. I,
0: I, I mean, I'd be lying if I, you know, pull up to the office every day, there's a giant F9 on our glass, big glass garage door it's awesome. It's like, yeah, we, we, you know, we made it in a sense in terms of the town and the region where we operate and everything like that. So then, you know, we, we did both of those builds. You don't have, those are anarchy builds. There was no building codes. It was kind of beautiful because we just could do what we wanted. We had really good budgets for both of them. We could create really, really amazing architecture and engineering with that. Um, so then we did, it was a profitable project for those two two uh, other tiny houses. And we had enough cash. We finally had enough cash. And lo and behold, back to Providence here, this piece of land that we were looking at, another developer snatched it up. And they bought it for like $120,000. So it was only a third of an acre um, in Longmont but you could do you could do a mixed use development. And uh, a couple months, so we, we were just like, well, we'll just hold on to the cash. Maybe something else will come up. And cause we wanted to do an info project and then we get, my wife gets a call cause she was our, she still is a realtor and she's like, you won't believe it, but uh, the developer that bought it, he he knew you were guys were bidding on it and he injured himself. He can't, he can't take on the project. He wants to sell it to you guys. He won't even put it back on the market, but he wants 60 K more. We did the math. like, we're like, yeah, that still works. This was like a couple months
1: later. I mean Boulder County. And he he uh, did he did nothing with it, just it was just, just the held price it. Went is crazy, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh so we bought it. Um we bought it a little
0: bit unconventionally. So you know probably as somebody who owns land, like most land deals are cash. Um mm-hmm. even if they're just raising it through like multiple investors and stuff like that. That's a that's the way you should take down land. We did a three year balloon loan, so we basically put down I think 35 percent 40 percent or something on the land and they're there're these special loans with this uh, with this company where it's kind of geared towards young guys like us who are a little willing to be a little bit more risky so it's a three-year balloon loan because it's all due at the end they're very small payments each month but the idea is that okay you buy the land do the due diligence get all your soils reports done the environmental reports all that all that crap then it should, you should be able to get through the city within a year after you submit all your documents, do all the design work, it should take you a year to build, a year to sell. There you go, there's the 3 years. Mm-hmm. So that's what we did. So we bought that in 2019, but the key it puts, the, puts
1: the uh puts the pressure on with the balloon loan, the pressure to execute for sure, right? 100%. I mean, there's yeah.
0: Yeah, the timeline exactly. Like the mm-hmm. fire was there, right? So this was 20 so we bought it in 2018 and then in 2019 um we well, sorry, 2017 we bought it. 2018, we did all the stuff with the, you know, all the drawings and into the city and all of that. And one of the keys to if you're going to if for me was like, okay, we're going to wear all three hats. Right. I have my architecture license. You don't have to have a license to be a developer. You just have that money. And then the second thing you have, the third thing you have to have is you have to be like a licensed contractor to be able to do the work. Because we wanted to avoid, we want to put that money in our own pockets, right? The 10, 12, 18, 20%, whatever a contractor is going to charge mm-hmm. you. So I had to take a class B contractor's test, which allows you to do uh, all all commercial up to three stories um, or and or residential. It's sort of like it's a commercial level contractor. Took the test, passed it. It's open book, not the hardest part. Hardest part was proving the work. So you have to show a track record of work. But I had all that experience as a as a young guy working for all these other uh, contractors. So I put together a little portfolio. Building inspector said, no problem, signed off on it. And then we we built everything in 2019, finished it in 2020, sold the last unit. So we did eight uh, condos, three-story townhomes, basically, and then nine condos. One is commercial, but the other eight are residential. We sold the last one. Uh, The day the market was at its high, I think it was like March 13th or March 15th, 2020. And then the Mm -hmm. next day, and then the next
1: day, it crashed. You can't time it much better than that. No.
0: (laughs) (laughs) At all. Yeah. Yeah. It was a great. And then then we bought stocks and we did well again. So, yeah. That's how we became, that's how we kind of started, started wearing all three hats. We haven't done any real estate development. I don't know if we will. We might, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe a couple years from now. But right now, we're just trying to concentrate on uh, the construction arm. For for me, mainly, is to really get that profitable uh, because it's only a baby. I mean, the architecture firm really took, you know, six, seven years to really get the portfolio there, the SEO engine up, and all of that, all the reviews online, the staff Mm -hmm. in place, the systems, and these last, you know, five, five, six years have been phenomenal i mean the the growth has been fantastic we have a satellite office in denver now so we're just concentrating on that again and trying to become really really good builders with really really good subs and then once we once we're in a good position again i would love to try another real estate development but the first one was just like i worked 80 days in a row at one point and it was just it was just intense i mean it was i was driving home today thinking about how difficult that was but how crappy it would have been if we weren't going to an office every day that we own, and mm-hmm. that's outright ours, and sort of have that,
1: yeah, not much time for fishing when you're working eighty to eighty days in a row. But we'll get to no. that in a minute here. Um, so I want to ask ask a question about just your your partnership with you and you and Alex. I mean, I'm I, I work with a, a couple of different partners and a couple of different businesses. Lines of Liberty being one, of course, with uh, with Brian and I. And you know, sometimes navigating a partnership, um, you know, it, it can be difficult—not for any particular reason against you know one partner or the other, but you know, just just like anything, it's it's not it's not always easy. So, I, I'm curious, just just from your perspective, you know, lessons learned, or maybe things that that you and Alex do to uh, to make sure you're aligned and on the same page. Are there uh, any uh, any tricks that you've developed over the years?
0: The the first,
1: yeah, the one big. Trick
0: was just recognizing reality. So, uh, in in our th- so we went to school for five years. In our third year, actually, back up. So, so the second year, um, I had just kind of uh, I've just I just observe people. Um, I, I just really pay attention to like who who they're hanging out with. Like, why are some people gravitating to, towards some people? Why are some people not gravitating towards some people? Mm-hmm. Is there like what would be the value of me? Uh, Getting to know this person, talking with them on, on a different level than just you know, um, the, the standard sort of you know high and buy sort of thing. Alex was a magnet. He so when I watched him in the first and second years of architecture school, I was like, why do is that? Why does everybody love this kid? Like, what is what is with this kid? Like, I'm like he's pretty average looking. He's you know six. He's like six foot. Nothing too special. Fairly athletic, but like I'm just like I don't know. You know he just but like everybody loved this guy everybody loved this guy. And I was like, "There's something to this guy. So I was like, uh, so second year, uh, we get to the first studio and I, he sat down, he picked his desk and I made it a point to sit across from him. And he did not like me. He, Alex didn't like me because like, uh, he said, well, you're, you're, you're smooth when you're talking to girls. And I don't like that. <laughs> I was like, okay. I'm like, all right, well, like, what? I don't know what to tell you, buddy. Like, you just got to have a little bit of confidence. Um, so he didn't like me, but then we ended up liking each other. And, um, then third year happened. So we at least could tolerate each other. There wasn't, there wasn't any bad blood or anything. Third year came about and he said, uh, we, we both were team captains for like these two different design projects with different teams. And what we saw, what, what we would witness is we were like, man, if, if just Alex and I were on a team, we would fill these voids that the other person can't fill. So I'm much more of an engineer type of brain, um, much more linear thinking. Alex is much more uh, spherical thinking. So he's thinking about the big picture. He's more interested in telling about the story. I'm more interested in telling about how it's going to get built. And so then our, what we ended up doing is we ended up saying like, Hey, there's, there's a big project coming up in fourth year and it's the skyscraper project. It's your, your senior capstone project. Um, you design a skyscraper. It's a big deal. It's a lot of work. Uh, and you did teams of two. And we said, like, whatever it takes, we're going to be on the same team, right? Yeah. So we, when it was time to pick partners, we made sure we, had to, we did everything we, we could to be on the team, sure enough. And then we won the skyscraper competition. And from there, I mean, you work with somebody for that long in that kind of an intense environment. Architecture students mm-hmm. are notorious for not sleeping. Um, And just kind of grinding it out. And so you really get to know somebody and his discipline is something that I would say we share equal discipline. So there's no filling a void there. It's sort of like a two headed dragon of discipline, Um, going to bed early, waking up early um, and getting to the studio before everybody else does and then grinding it out and getting it done and just being very um, methodical with with how we tackle problems. So that's all translated over to us um, then in business. And so what we did in business when we first started is I would do most of the billable work. But the idea was, is like we had to get our name out there somewhere. So Alex would work on one of the first things he did is he did this uh, flood house, which is a house that he did from his thesis. We made the front page of the Fargo paper uh, within like a couple months after he moved down um we started that tiny house project it was just a website at first it was blake's tiny house and but tv that that was right when the tiny house movement was just sort of taking off and tv like the tv shows were starting to butt out and we would get a call maybe like once a month cbs nbc hgtv that we wanted to do this we didn't have any money then so we couldn't do it we kept all those contacts and we did a sizzler or two some crews flew out and filmed us and stuff
1: so Um, let me jump into a question i thought of so do you get paid anything like I'm sure you get paid something when you're on TV, but you or you, nothing for, for those
0: reality shows. You don't even get an appearance fee.
1: Really, you get the adver- You get you get the hey, here's some advertising for you guys,
0: and it paid off obviously because I already told the story about it led to getting Subaru and then the land mm-hmm. and you know all that trajectory. No, and then so we've had other. uh We get these calls. uh We haven't got one for a while, but we would get them like maybe once a quarter, and a lot of it was like. Uh, uh, off-the-grid kind of kind of houses and stuff. And they were like, do you have any clients? You know, that's the first thing they come to use. Like, do you have any clients? I'm like, oh, my God, you guys don't understand. Those people who want to build the off-the-grid thing, they don't even want to be known at all. Like, these are truly yeah. off-the-grid wackos. So that's the first problem. And then, this, then if we would have somebody, then I've always told them as like, I will be on television again if there's an appearance fee. Because it's work. Like, you are acting 100%. I mean, they want yeah. the drama, you're not getting a lot of work done. Um, I would only do it with an appearance fee now. So,
1: yeah, I, I mean, I, it's it's hard to believe that you know people do it, and, and I mean, doing it one time is one thing, but yeah, if you're doing it over and over again, um, I mean, of course, if if you have a show, you're you're getting paid for that, but that's a whole different conversation. Yeah, um,
0: yeah. So, so, so that that's that's the dynamic of our partnership is there's some days he's good, good cop. Some days I'm, I'm bad cop. It's happened in meetings. And, you know, since we do our podcast, we've done gosh, 500 episodes or something now. And then we've, we've done plenty of speaking engagements at universities that have paid us to do round tables of other architecture podcasts and stuff like that. Um, and then plenty of business meetings. Like we just know what either person is going to say. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's pretty much there at this point. But it's, we still fill these, these gaps. And now lately, since now we're like, we're seasoned business owners, you know, our firm's been here for 13 years now, um, won a lot of awards. We're, we're a recognized name in Colorado, 100%. People know who we are. Uh, Basically, you know, it's just, it's, we push each other now. So he will have an idea and then I will be like, ah, well, now I gotta, I have to push myself for for another you know for another idea and, and just keep moving it forward and sort of accelerating in that way. Our biggest thing lately is we really want to try to harness AI for architecture. So taking out like the stuff mm-hmm. we don't want to do, right? And automating that. And we hope it can level us up again the way it leveled us up when we first started our firm and kind of beat out all those other architects. who we're much more worried about the art and not the business.
1: Yeah, that, well, that's a really interesting conversation—the whole AI conversation—and how that—that that, that's a good a good way to to think about it to bring up how it, a way a, a smaller firm or a smaller company could use it to really level up and get on the same um, you know platform as these as these larger giants that have a, a lot more bureaucracy and they can afford a lot more waste, but you know you know maybe by with the AI you can. uh be more competitive with them. So that, that's, that's an interesting thought. Yeah, keep the same fee structure, do more, mm-hmm. do more with less people. And the
0: profit was going to go up. I mean, it's a very simple equation for me. If we could just there figure it out, it, it really is bleeding edge at this point in terms of the architecture community. There's a, so we're actually testing it out like this week and next week. There's like three different programs that we've been working with. They're sort of beta programs. We've had to sign NDAs and everything. Um, but we're really excited about it. And basically just to the viewers and listeners is to make it as simple as possible. To understand is like, we will do a cool design, right? Uh, floor plans, we'll have some elevations, some 3d views. And then, then there's the nitty gritty part of like, okay, now you got to detail a set and make it constructible. Right? So mm-hmm. like it has to have more details about the whole thing and, and formatted. That's the part we want to concentrate on first. That should be an easy one to actually tackle because we can tell the AI, here's the goal. Here's where we're at. Sort of fill the gap for us.
1: I'll bet that AI is very controversial in the architectural community. Am, am I right? Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, because they don't think like I'm mm-hmm. explaining here. Yeah, they, at,
0: at all. They're very protectionist folks. You know, they're just they get very angry if anybody else, like software architects, use the word architect. And doesn't hurt my ego. Like I'm like whatever. I'm a building architect. Like I I don't care. I, at the end of the day, you know, as long as people are fed, we're doing the work that we're passionate about, and we're profitable, and 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 winning an award here or there. Like I'm happy. I mean, yeah. why why be why be worried and get all up, upset about that sort of thing?
1: And and it's coming whether you like it or not in, in every industry. So yeah, it's you can either you know lead, follow, or get run over. I guess exactly exactly. Um, so. I want to pivot now. We got about 20 minutes or so left. And I want to talk about fishing. And like the way that I know your fishing story, obviously I've, I've seen everything you post on social media and some of your YouTube stuff, which is really cool. But like the timing of like, at least from like my outside perspective, when it seems like you started fishing more, was right after the uh 2020 election. Um, yeah. Cause you, you used to be more politically active, right. And doing uh, you know, different, you know, b- b- putting yourself out there, going to, to protests and, and things of that nature. And, uh, is it, is it, is that accurate that around 2020, that kind of just, I don't, I don't know what, what the word to use is, but something changed there. and You decided I'm done with politics and I want to go fishing. Is that.
0: Yeah. I got banned on January 6th, 2021. Okay. From, from social media. And I don't think it's a
1: coincidence. Yeah, I
0: wasn't this huge Trump guy. I mean, I, I, I would tell the truth that I, I did vote for him because I wasn't going to vote for, you know, anti racist nonsense, Joe Jorgensen, <laughs> loser, libertarian. Um, I, I just wanted to, you know, do the do the thing where like, ah, I'm, just, I'm sticking it to the left, right? Yeah. And there was nothing like the protests. I was actually even holding a protest every Saturday in the middle of the town that I live in. And it's still going today. It's kind of like a little legacy thing where I'm like, oh, cool. I started that. They, they still go there. They still do that. Like, I, I'm making a difference legacy wise in that way. Um There was nothing about the 2020 election anecdotally that I saw on the ground as a as a grassroots activist that told me Biden's going to win. There's there's no way that this guy's going to win campaigning from a basement.
1: So then when I didn't you saw, see it. I didn't see it either, man. That's...
0: Yeah. So then when you saw the rigging, and it was a hundred percent. I don't care. You know, you can have whatever theory you want to latch onto yeah. of how they did it and why they did it and everything. I'm convinced, right? So I was just completely pissed off about that. It's like, well, voting is not the way to freedom. Like it is, this is, this is so phony to put all of your time and effort and, and to do anything politically anyway is such an uphill battle. The problem is, is like, if you're right of center, I think it boils down to these are people who are highly independent people. So to get them to crowd anything is difficult. Mm-hmm. It's very hard. It, it's so like. It has to be a very special moment for all of that stuff to happen. And and as a guy who is successful at almost everything he tries, like the monetization of fishing, for God's sakes, I was just like, this is, I can't, I can't be successful here. And it's, it's like out of my hands to be successful. And the icing on the cake was when I, when I got banned from social media, um for for i don't even remember what it wasn't anything i really even posted it was just a across the board i guarantee there's a blacklist over at facebook january 6 2021 you know what happened boom banned mm-hmm. so the same you know same all all with anybody who's right of center who was sort of a outspoken figure because i had access to to pages um you know the lp being libertarian couple million followers in my pocket and some of the memes I would post would just go nuts I mean very famous people would end up posting like Jack posibiak um that sort of thing so when you kind of get that target up when you make a target for yourself I was like this is what's the end game for me is the end game am I gonna get anything out of this or should mm-hmm. I should I focus on something else and as you know so if it was 2021 20, well I would have been 37 38. And I was like, at the same time, you know, there wasn't anything to do because of COVID and all that crap. And I was just so sick of society. And then our kids are all teenagers and they don't really care about us whatsoever. They're like, they got, I got their own friends. And I was like, what? Like, I'm, I can finally afford to buy any kind of fishing stuff I want. And I moved here to Colorado a long time ago, being a trout addict. Like, I'm just going to do that now. Like, I'm just going to go full. This is my opportunity. Mm-hmm. So that's what I started doing. I just kind of went nuts. Um, I would just be a very obsessive about it. So that first summer, I would, I would go at least three times a week. I would go on these very, very deep hikes, a lot of them solo. And it was a, a very much a spiritual endeavor for me, kind of refinding myself, re, re getting back to like what is important in life. Um, God, family, fishing. Mm-hmm. You know, successful businesses, relationships, um, and just getting to that piece again. And I kind of checked out even from business. I mean, Alex will tell you, like in 2021, we had, we only were 7% profitable. And I, a big part of that was, I was just like, I'm checked out. Like I, I'm, it was just on the heels of the development too. And we were almost litigated against, against these, by these, by these horrible people. And I was just like, what, what is this all worth? So um, that led to, and then after doing that for about a year, I was like, there are so many magical moments I should have had on film. I mean, the places I'll go to are just, sometimes, uh, more often than not, I would say over 90% of the time, I'm the only person on these lakes. I'm the only person at the end of the trail. Mm-hmm. And just the things you see and the way the, the fish are caught and the experience, I was like, I want to take other people on this journey with me. And then I remembered my mother would say this over and over again uh to my first wife, my current wife, other people. She was like, When Lance was a little kid, and he was in second grade or something like that, like, you know, when you fill out the the you what do I want to be when I grow up? I was a professional fisherman. That was that was like the dream when I was a kid. And I was yeah. like, I'm a big believer in like you should do everything you're passionate about that you could fail at before you're forty because then you have time to recover in your forties financially or or what or reputation wise or whatever Mm -hmm. to do that so then you fast forward uh one year and then i i decided to buy a couple gopros my friend bill mccarthy kind of set me up with all the equipment i already knew photoshop really well from all the meme making and just architecture school i knew premiere a little bit to do the video and i just taught myself and he taught me the basics of like putting together video and and
1: now that's that's one of the things I do. So, so take us through um, just really a day when you go fishing. Um, you're talking about you're going on a long hike, sometimes solo hikes. How long? How long is the hike in? Um, w- w- when you fish, I mean, how how are you out there most of the day? Is it is this like a full day trip that you normally do? Yeah, it it varies, but like
0: the most, I would say. If it's, so ice fishing, it's ice fishing season right now. And uh, when I would first go, um, how about this? I, I, I didn't start ice fishing first. I just started to do like the picture behind us, you know, go up mm-hmm. to these very high alpine lakes and stuff. A lot of it was just exploration because I'd never been to these places, and they're literally it, it's an hour from my house to all these trailheads. I have access to the Indian Peaks Wilderness, Rocky Mountain National Park, James Peak Wilderness. It's kind of an incredible place to live. Uh, so a lot of it was just exploring right away. And, um, but some of the hikes vary between two hours up and then, uh, or sorry, two miles up and two miles back. And those lakes are usually like eight or eight or 9,000 feet, but the mm-hmm. real magical special ones are all the way up at the continental divide, 12,000 feet in the air. Wow. And those ones are about four to five miles up and you're yeah. usually gaining between two or 3,000 feet. I'll put my, um, a big pack on. Um, now you know, what I used to do too, is I, I would pack a lunch, but now I've taken it even further as like, I don't even pack water. I don't pack any food. It's a fasting exercise as well. And then I, I, I fast pretty much the whole day. So if I get on the trail, um, I try to get on the trail, like some of these, uh, trailheads get really packed with people because there's so many people here in Colorado now. I'll try to get on the trail before 6am. And then I'll usually get up to like, maybe like, uh, nine or 10 AM start fishing. Ideally, I only want to film for two or three hours because that's the easiest Mm -hmm. way to cut a video. Like the goal is to always catch at at least four fish and that'll make a video. Obviously if you catch more, you know, it will be a longer, better video. And then, um, you know, it will be one or 2 PM and then I'll head back down the trail, like on a Saturday and try to make it home to take my wife out to eat or make supper. That's like a typical Saturday. Um, so at the height of it, it was, I was even taking off work Wednesdays and doing this and then Saturdays and then Sundays. Um, but now I've kind of toned it down after I've, I've touched these, each of these lakes or these places mm-hmm. at least two or three times. I, I know where to go. I know how to, I know what to do. I, I truly feel like kind of a professional. I mean, I, I've guided people in that regard and like successfully put them on fish almost every time. Um, but now, now I've got it toned down where like, okay, in the summers, I'll take Wednesdays off. That's part of my reward of being an entrepreneur, getting my freedom through financial security, business security. And then Saturdays I'll go. And then just recently after the, after the road decision, I went back to the Catholic church. So Sundays are dedicated to, um, getting the kids confirmed and going through getting, getting them to be, you know, confirmed Catholics. Um, which is a lot of work they have to go to a class i have to go to a class we attend mass every sunday spend spend time with the wife kind of recollect too because now i'm back in workaholic crush the competition business mode as well so i i have found like a i don't even like the word balance just like the, the right the right amount of time for everything but it took like an obsessive summer to do it i mean it was just out of control
1: so, something that this makes me think of you, you just talked about how sort of you know going fishing especially at the beginning there when you were starting out it was like a spiritual journey for you and I guess even now when you're you're fasting it's it sounds like it's still a, a spiritual experience for you yeah. um and it's it, is it fair to say that, that that was something that led you back to the Catholic Church I'm assuming I'm assuming you were Catholic previously or yeah born Catholic right so like if you're baptized and you're you're Mm-hmm. If you're bap- If you're born and you're baptized, that's the
0: Catholic Church. said You're born Catholic. And you're
1: Catholic forever. Blah blah blah. Uh, it, I, had- a, uh, I was just gonna say that th- there's a book which I read a long time ago, I'm meaning to read it again. I have it. I don't have it in front of me though. I forget who wrote it, but it's called this. This whole experience is making me think of it. It's it's called it's called Wild at Heart, and really talks about one thing. It talks about is the need for really men to have experiences like this. You know, getting out in nature, challenging yourself, yeah. um, which so many, I mean, myself included, I, I don't do it often enough with, with, I get out and hunt and things like that, but you know, I don't get to go on, you know, three, you know, three, four mile hikes to, uh, to hunt in a, in Pennsylvania. Normally it's, I'm, I'm walking a little bit in and then sitting there or maybe doing a drive every once in a while. Yeah. But I, I think that's, I think that's really a missing piece in our, in our world today. It's huge.
0: It's so huge. It's so huge. Yeah, it's just, uh, I tell my wife, like, I'll, I would, I come home and I'll still say to Ron and I'm like, I felt like I could have died today. Not, not that I, not that I was, uh, um, not, not that I wanted to, but that like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: like any of these cliffs you see behind me, like, there's instances where you're literally looking at death. I mean, if I took, if, if the rock slid the wrong way and I'm all by myself, I was like, I, I, so I really couldn't explain it. And I still can't kind of explain it, but like, there's just a, gravitational pull that pulls me to that solitude and that danger and that vulnerability that is really special so uh you know i i think it would probably had part i think it was just sort of me recentering myself i'm not so sure that you know god metaphorically or literally came down and said like you need to go back to the church it was a slow trickle towards that you know i had tried um left the Catholic Church, only got my son baptized, daughter's going to get baptized this Easter and stuff. But I I had always felt it pulling me back there. I had always, the tradition, the beauty of the Catholic Church, you know, Tom Woods has written about it, like it literally built Western civilization. Like you can talk trash about, you know, Mm -hmm. all the nasty things, nothing's perfect about any church or anything like that. Yeah. And then the Roe decision, when four of the justices who were Catholic, I was like, this is, I I can't, uh, what more proof do you need? Lance, you should go back.
1: Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool, man. Um, So, so with, with fishing, I mean, you said, uh, or your, your mom said when you were a little kid, you had a goal of being a professional fisherman. So how, how far do you take this? I mean, is this something that's going to continue being a hobby that now you've monetized or um, are you going to, you're going to keep pushing? I'm going to keep pushing. Yeah, because it's still working. So.
0: Like I'm having, I'm finding that I'm having to adapt to this stupid TikTok culture and make shorts, which is fine. Uh, I just had to like get over my grumpy old man self and go like, okay, I'll- (laughs) No one has an
1: attention span anymore. That's why. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I officially monetized it, um, maybe only a month or two into it, which is awesome. And I've always had this obsession of like monetize everything, like make money at every single thing you do. And it's not like I live this lavish lifestyle. At all. Like, I drive a used suburban. I just put a $6,000 transmission in because I refused to buy a new truck. Um, you, you know, I grow a garden. Like, we eat mm-hmm. the fish I catch. You know, I, I live a pretty frugal life. Like, I'm not doing this outlandish, crazy stuff, uh, you know, buying big boats and stuff like that. So, I monetize it uh, on Newsbreak, was the first place. And people are like, Newsbreak? I'm like, yeah, they actually have like 10 million, 10 million subscribers or something per month. And at first, what they were doing, which was amazing, but I don't think they'll ever bring her back is if you put up a video that was between 30 seconds and two minutes, you would get 25 bucks, no matter how many views it got. Really? So at one point, I was making almost a $1,000 a month. That's sort of the height of it. Um, now it's trickled down to like, I only make maybe two to 300 bucks a month. But uh, it pays for you know all my fishing stuff, which I don't even need that much anymore because I've kind of got it all in the bag now and I know what I want to use and all that sort of thing. So now what I'm using, now what I'm doing is I'm taking that newsbreak revenue at, with, and I couple that with my YouTube channel. The YouTube channel just got monetized. you have to have a thousand ball, you know this, you have to have a thousand. Um, subscribers, 4,000 watch hours and stuff. Yeah. We
1: are we're, we're not. We can no longer monetize on YouTube. We perpetually have two strikes. So oh, no. Um, yeah. You're bad
0: guys. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> so what I
0: do is I take the newsbreak money now and I divvy it up and I promote three or four videos on YouTube a month. Um, yeah. So the goal is, I don't know if I would ever professionally guide. Uh, I, I, I guide people maybe two or three, maybe two times, two or three times a month. Um, people that have, a lot of people who have never went fishing before, who are just like close friends, and it's sort of like an honor thing of me giving back and sh- like showing them and teaching them and showing them a good time. they, they might not ever go up to this place, let out like in this background because it's it's a hard hike to do. Mm-hmm. So, so like it, there's nothing pointing me in the direction of stopping doing it, even beyond money, because like one w- one story I'll share with you real quick is I just met this guy, I, I, and I've met these like, through the politics that I was doing with Rally for Our Rights and the Libertarian Party and and all of that, that's where I made all my local friends. You know, it took me a decade to find like real local friends. Some of them are now my employees. Uh, Leslie Hollywood is doing our website, redoing yeah. it for us, and so I have all these awesome, awesome friends that I agree with politically. My wife loves them; she sold them houses, all that kind of good stuff. And then the fishing community now is in play, and I'm like. You know, people find me on Fish Angler. People find me on Instagram. People find me on YouTube, and then Fish Explorer. And on Fish Explorer, I'm the regional editor for the Indian Peaks Wilderness, James Peak Wilderness, and Rocky National Park. And this guy reached out to me the other day. His name is Dallas. Uh, maybe in October, and he he was like, "I, I want to try some of these." You know, I'm, I'm tired of fishing on the front range in Colorado. It's very flat, and then the mountains are behind us. And I was like, "Sure, I'll take you." Like. Uh, Let's go up to, I'm I'm planning on going to Blue Lake. That was a crazy hike. It was like four and a half miles. Like one of those very, very, very hard ones. Mm -hmm. So he went on the hike with me. He, it it was very difficult for him. And I just cruised up the mountain. And uh, he now, and so I fished with him now three or four times since. Right after he got off the trail with me, he was like, I'm changing my life. He Quit drinking soda. He started working out again. And now he's like thirty pounds lighter. He's in excellent shape. He's thirty six. That is awesome. So there's there's stuff like that that happens where I'm like, well, how isn't that providence? Like I'm supposed to. I was supposed to. I was supposed to go through this whole big journey, and now I've I've like influenced that guy to live a better lifestyle through Mm -hmm. one trip with me.
1: Yeah, I mean, and that's you know people talk about how influencers are you know bad people. Or, you know, kind, kind of painting with a, a broad brush. But that just, I mean, just, there's so many different ways to influence people. I mean, some random person looking you up found you, you agreed, agreed to go fishing together on a crazy four yeah. and a half mile hike, and the guy has a different life now. Like, that's just absolutely bonkers, but so cool. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Yeah. So there's stuff like that.
0: Yeah. And I mean, just, uh, and fishing is a lifelong sport. I I know I've seen you post some, post some pictures of yourself fishing and stuff like that. I know you like to go hunting and out the outdoors. Um, and so it's just a resurgence of like a passion that I had when I was a kid and now I can afford it. Like I I, I don't, I can buy whatever I want fishing wise if I need to. So it's like, and then what else is there to do? Because honestly, (laughs) my wife is a realtor. So uh, <laughs> she was working all weekends. like, well, that's I'll
1: true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I talk to, I talk to people all the time, not all the time, but it, se- it seems like it's often where they say, I, I want to get my real estate license. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, okay. Um, I'm not, I don't have my real estate license. I just operate, you know, in the, uh, the vacant land, um, Realm, but the first thing I, I do know is su- very successful realtors. My sister in law's a realtor, ex- extremely successful. But every weekend, yeah, right. Every weekend, oh, yeah. most evenings you're working. I'm like, if you want to, you want to pursue that, go for it. Just want to warn you, you're not going to have weekends. The rest of your, I mean, as long as you're being a real estate agent, There's if you want to be successful, yeah. Real estate agent has become like this, like sexy career, and it, it can be right, but I think. I don't know where it got like this this sort of uh thing associated where it's like easy money. It's, it couldn't be farther from the truth.
0: I think it's all the Grant Cardone's of the world. You know those guys yeah. showing it showing it come out that way. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean it, for for me it it, it fits and um, all of that. And the, the, I made a vision board this uh, this year. First time I've ever made a vision board. I always thought it was kind of like wooey and fruity and all that. Um, but I made one because I'm back on this, like, okay, total lifestyle, like s- successful entrepreneur with all these different things, like, uh, back, back to Catholicism. Here's what I want, uh, to do with the kids. And then the one big missing piece is my, my brother's actually a professional hunter. Uh, he's the hunter. I'm the fisher in the family. And, uh,
1: he, there's a TV show there, man. There's a TV show. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> we want to call it American psycho. That's what we think we should call I, it. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Cause of the last name. So I have on my vision board this year that I am going I'm going to get a bow. I am going to shoot a deer with him. And I think that's one of the big pieces of life, especially that he's seen and he's been so thankful for. He's like, I didn't have my brother for like 33 years or whatever. And now my brother's back. And we have this incredible bond again. Uh, we fish as we so like you know, now there's annual trips, uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas, paddle mm-hmm. fishing stuff like that and uh where we talk every day so it's just been like um in the end it's not even about the fish i guess it ends up being about the these people and these relationships that become really special and meaningful i mean your fishing buddies especially if it's your brother like that's that's a pretty unique thing
1: yeah i saw i saw the pictures you posted with uh you and your brother on facebook with a with a hollow fish and uh, you guys look almost identical it's uh it's pretty crazy yeah. This is my perspective. <laughs> but Lance, I think we're out of time here. Thanks for being gracious with your time. Before I let you go, you got stuff to plug. I know you got the podcast, FNI Productions, uh, your social media. So plug away.
0: Yeah. Check me out uh, for the podcast. Anybody who's interested in ever starting a business, even though it's an architecture related podcast, we make it broad so that if you are starting a business, we try to teach you how to do it from scratch. We lay everything bare. The bad, the good. Um, so, started episode zero. You can look. You can go to uh, insidethefirmpodcast.com, dot and we're on all the major platforms. You can go on the YouTube channel. We do film uh, for YouTube now. And then, if you're looking for some fishing action, go to Fishing with Lance on YouTube, a news break, and on Instagram.
1: All right, Lance Psycho, thanks for coming on the show, man. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me, bud. All right. Hope you guys enjoyed that interview with my friend Lance psycho Just psycho uh, I said it wrong. Lance Psycho. You got you got to say it right. You got to commit to it. That's how you say his name. Um, an awesome dude. Just a genuinely good person. An honest person. <laughs> I love his. Uh, you know, I love his Facebook posts and uh, just how honest he is in talking about um, the subjects of today, and. My favorite part of the interview today was the story he shared about someone who reached out to him about going fishing. And Lance took this guy who we didn't know, fishing, up up the mountain, down the mountain, fished, caught fish, had fun. And this guy decided to change his life, to change his health, to get in shape, to quit drinking soda. Um, Fantastic. I just love stories like that. And I love what people like Lance are doing. Lance is a liberty-minded person, a freedom-oriented person. And he's tried the political stuff, right, which you know there's a time and a place for that, but he's applying uh, the principles that guide him um, not to uh, politics per se, but to his life, to his business, to his family. And that, my friends, is what we need to do as liberty as liberty lovers, as people who want to live in a free society. Um, I think we all, myself included, could do much more to embrace that and to really, really um, exemplify that behavior um, to our peers, to our friends, to our family, to our communities. So that's what I take away from this interview. Let me know what you take away. Let me know on Twitter. Follow me at John Odermatt. You Can also follow me on Instagram at John Odermat or find me on Facebook, John A Odermatt is what I'm listed at on the on the old Facebook URL. So you can find me there too. And you can always shoot me an email, john at lionsofliberty.com. If you have a guest suggestion, if you just want to give me a comment on the show um, or anything else of that nature, I do read and try to reply to every message and email that I get. So appreciate you all. Appreciate everything you all do for uh, listening to this to this show to this program, listening to Lions of Liberty as a whole, to Brian's show, and everything we do here, um, you are the reason why we continue to uh, to fight on and press on, and we will not stop. We will not stop. So, hopefully, you all have a great week, and I will talk to you all next Monday. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning.